Hi, my name is Rita. You're so welcome to the Mindspace podcast. We're so glad to have you. Uh, today we have our guest and I'll let him introduce himself and tell us a bit about himself. Sure. Uh, yeah. My name is Joel Bellinson. Mm-hmm. I'm not a board certified anything in psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a background in molecular biology and bioinformatics. Mm-hmm. Um, I pioneered a lot of the technologies that we all recently learned about with COVID in terms of PCR and RNA and my company was the first to assemble and annotate the human genome and that company is my linkage to Uganda because the chief engineer was a Ugandan, Edward Chiruluta. That's good. So yeah so today our topic is genetics and epigenetics how do they correlate with mental health vis-a-vis mental illness yeah so how do you think the link comes about how do the genetics and epigenetics correlate with well i think we need to first talk about this question of mental illness yeah what What is is mental health what is health what is normal what is abnormal because we're all pretty unique, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody's a little crazy in their own special way. That's true. So however we define that, I don't know. But I mean, we have extreme examples of mm-hmm. neuroatypical, let's say. Let's mm-hmm. not demonize it. But people who are neuroatypical, uh, we know that sometimes conditions manifest at certain stages of life. Uh, schizophrenic seems to manifest in I think men and girl and women in their tw- early 20s mm-hmm. um, why is that I don't know exactly um, does seem to be some sort of program that manifests in some people so I think that's where we get into the epigenetics question mm-hmm. so the genetics is the DNA sequence the mm-hmm. nucleotides A's C's G's T's epigenetics are the modification of certain regions of the DNA sequence that may silence a gene or cause it to be overexpressed. Mm -hmm. And those modifications are called epigenetic modifications. They are typically uh, methylations. And it's somehow someone's experience in their life, whatever it may be, we don't know what triggers these things, right? Everybody's trying to figure it out. What triggers an epigenetic modification to lead to a gene getting deactivated or hyperactivated? Mm -hmm. Could be trauma that somehow is leading to a methylation of a base. Do we know exactly where? Yes. They can now identify which parts of the genes can get methylated. Do we know why? No. So, so somebody's born with this gene. They're born with a predisposition. Uh-huh. It doesn't so mean it manifests. If something happens, it may lead to it being manifested. That's true. But it may be a sequence of steps. Mm. And that each one adds like half a percent uh, extra chance of it occurring. But we don't, we're just starting to scratch the surface of these uh, with using genome-wide association studies. Where there was, you know, they've done this on homosexuality, they've done it on drug addiction, <clears throat> many different uh, things. They've been trying to find um, genetic variations that correlate with this outcome. And what they are finding is a large percentage of those genetic variations 
are involved in epigenetics. Mm -hmm. So in effect, their genetic variation makes them more prone to be influenced by the environment. Now, what are those influences and how do they manifest? We, we don't still know. don't know very much of it at all. <laughs> yeah, um, so my next question would be, what mental illness do you think is the most genetic? Well, the most genetic. See, I tend to think a lot of them are epigenetic, mm -hmm. right? Um, things from autism, I think that's likely to be epigenetic. Um, one of the theorists on the subject is an associate of mine, um, uh, Bar Dr. Baron Cohen at Cambridge University. His theory is that the autistic brain is a hyper-masculine brain. And by masculine, he means that the connection between the two parts of the brain, the right and the left, is narrower. Women have a much broader corpus callosum that connects the right and left. Men have a narrower one. And people who are autistic have even narrower connectivity between the two halves of their brain. <clears throat> and maybe that is what is manifesting as that condition. Now, <clears throat> Dr. Baron Cohen's theory is that this may be influenced somehow by testosterone levels in the uterus. And um, so whether a boy or a girl, they each have hormones that are being expressed when they're embryos. And the mother's body is also doing things and she's living through life and her traumas and experiences. So all that combined can be leading to these uh, predispositions manifesting. So um, they're, I mean, they're, go ahead. So the epigenetics, can the epigenetics affect a fetus while it's still in the womb with a mother? Of course. The, the womb is an environment, mm. right? And so basically we're being marinated inside of our mothers and chemicals. Mm. And the chemicals that her body's producing are in response to her moods, her life experience, things going on in her. It's changing her chemistry. And that chemistry is impacting the fetus. And the fetus has its uh, epigenetic predispositions, uh, methylation sites. And it could be that um, genes are getting methylated even in the prenatal state. So is this why maybe some babies are born addicted to meth, uh, heroin, cocaine? Yeah, it's possible it's that the mother's addiction is... An addict? Yeah. So it would be possibly that it's sensitizing or desensitizing the embryo's brain mm. to these chemicals. So it actually would need to have more of them to feel something because it's already been exposed to them through the mother. And so now when this is a grown-up human being, their body was conditioned before they were even born to uh, whatever to respond to, you know, the maybe alcohol consumption or opiates or whatever they are um, can be impacted. It might not even be something so, you know, uh, illegal. I mean, it could just be even mother eating a lot of soy, you know, maybe effeminates makes a man, uh, a, an embryo more effeminate, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, soy has a lot of estrogen in it. And so estrogen could be impacting 
the, the fetus inside the mother and uh, developing in whatever ways that estrogen might trigger. In regards to the mental illnesses that we see run throughout the families, how best would you advise families to respond? Like if depression has run in my family, hmm. how best can these families prepare for the offsprings that are yet to come? Is that something that they can do chemically or they just wait and then... Well, you'll see. I mean, you know, people who are depressed. I mean, it's not only genetics, right? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, that's just a, a piece of the yeah. puzzle. Yeah. Um, I think generations, mm. when people are born, in their country's cycle, because mm. every country has a cycle of genocide and civil war, and then recovery, and then the post-war baby boomers come of age, like it's happening in Uganda now. Um, the children born after the 80s are now, you know, coming of age, and there's kind of a youth rebellion against the adults. We had the same thing in America in the 1960s and 70s. So people born at different points um, are going to be shaped by their early childhood and whether or not it's an opening environment. I was born in that time of awakening, so I grew up in a more free environment. Now, freedom itself can cause mental illness by the way. There have been numerous philosophers that have spoken about how having too many choices can make people go very crazy because they don't know what to do. They get paralyzed and there's a fear of missing out that whatever choice they made, they missed out on something else. So ironically, giving people too many choices can eventually lead to a lot of emotional challenges. Um, so you would not have expected that, right? Because it's not, you know, freedom is a great thing. Yeah, so why would people growing up under freedom have more neurosis? Mm -hmm. so this, you know, there have been, I'm not going to quote the names of these philosophers, but various philosophers have talked about that one of the things that can really lead to high degrees of anxiety and depression is too many choices. Now, would we have expected that? Of course not, because we all want to make for our children as many choices as possible. Right, but we don't think about that. Everything we do as a as a there's a there's a shadow to everything that to every light, right? There's nothing comes without some other you know a blessing always comes with a curse. So that's just life, and so maybe people who are born during a civil war and an economic collapse, well you know, and their parents have told them to just be quiet and follow the rules and don't get us in trouble, right? And those people may grow up also you know, in some way mentally stunted, but at the same time, maybe it makes them tougher, you know, makes them more resilient, you know, because sometimes you need the storms to blow the trees to make the tree stronger. So, like I said, everything, there's a blessing and a curse with everything. Uh, so, what blessing and curse came with COVID-19 in regards to Mental, mental health. Illness and mental health. Well, we all know that um, worldwide, we see it certainly in Uganda, but we know worldwide everybody's a little bit on edge yeah. at the very least. Yeah. Um, they have trouble being in rooms with each other. Even if they're not scared of disease, they're just used to being by themselves. And so there's been a lot of people have been changed by that. Now, maybe some people have learned to be comfortable being alone. Maybe they've learned to love themselves 
because it, it really wasn't possible to connect with people. And for many people, that could be healing, right? They, that, you know, learning to love themselves is how they can avoid getting into bad relationships. And uh, so maybe there will be some benefits from it. We have to look for the silver lining now. What's done is done. We can't undo it. I would say I hope they never do something so silly again as pretend that humanity doesn't need labor to be working to make a living for us. Because the inflation we're having is directly related to not letting people work for two years. Yeah. So they wonder why there's shortages of goods worldwide. You didn't let people pump oil. You didn't let them work on ports. You didn't let them drive trucks. No wonder the supply chains are a complete confused mess and everybody's warehouses is running short of everything. So it was just, so hopefully we never do a lockdown again, but we did it. I opposed it, but we did it <laughs> worldwide. And all the countries I'm from did it, so I can't just criticize Uganda. Israel did it, America, Britain, Canada, the whole, aside from Tanzania and Sweden, right? And yeah. the state of Florida. Those are the only exceptions on the planet I'm aware of that didn't lock down. So we'll find out just how, you know, what, how people evolve from that mentally. Because um, there's clearly, I hear lots of reports from parents that their kids are acting up in school, that they're coming back, they don't know how to behave, yeah. right? And, they're, and they're, now they have all kinds of fears, yeah. and they were taught that they're spreaders of disease. They're going to kill grandma, <laughs> you know? So imagine being a kid being taught, you're going to kill grandma. How, what that must do to you. And, yeah. and every time you look at adults, they're wearing a mask. Yeah. You don't even get to connect with them and know if they're smiling or, you know, all the important uh, nonverbal communication that happens. We deprive little babies of that. So I don't know what's going to come of it. Maybe in some way they'll become tougher. I don't know. Maybe they'll be able to live in their own personal bubble. I'm not sure that's good. But maybe they'll be comfortable being alone. Um, certainly the technology is pushing a whole segment of the planet, all the university-educated types, the people who sit behind desks. Mm -hmm. Well, they can sit behind desks at home now, yeah. right? So, and, you know, a lot of us are have, you know, have home businesses now, and, yeah. and that's how we're making it. Um, now, can everybody do that? Of course not. It still takes manual labor to get things done. It still takes people showing up somewhere to get something done. Now, if we have a whole generation of people that can't handle being around each other, that's going to be a problem. Let's pray it doesn't get that bad. <laughs> Let's hope it's not that bad. But because uh, a lot of people have to really deal with each other. Yeah. And uh, and we already, if you guys were observing as I was. Uh, the media in the rich countries, um, it became pretty obvious that people were losing their minds. Mm. Even in mob psychology, right? Just yeah. everybody filled with hatred of each other. People who used to be friends became enemies. They would find whatever issue they could and battle about it. Mm. Even though it, was, it wasn't important, somehow they felt a need for this. It gave them an identity, a purpose. Because I think when you lock up people for a long time, they run. They wonder what's their purpose in life. That's true. And so they tried to find some sort of righteous purpose, whether they were on any side in any of the arguments. They were desperate for righteousness, and just to feel like their life had some meaning to it. Mm -hmm. So, 
hopefully the silver lining will win out. Um, we're certainly going to face inflation, hope, probably for years to come, because you can't just shut down the planet for two years. <laughs> just can't. Is that a way we would have prepared better, especially in regard to well definitely because a large cause of depression and anxiety is from people's physical inactivity and what ways people should get out and walk get out and walk and do exercises push-ups sit-ups whatever get active there have been all recent studies have come out that show that intense exercise just a few times a week is much more effective than antidepressant medication so we're almost getting ourselves mentally ill from being lazy and sitting around and getting hypnotized by scary news stories and being shown things going on around all over the planet. Somehow now we all have to be responsible for every horrible thing happening anywhere and everywhere on the planet because the news decides. So how the hell is anybody built to handle taking on responsibility for every horrifying thing happening. It's just impossible. And we put that burden on, on ourselves. And um, we'll see what happens, you know? Um, I would like this to take a more personal angle. What things do you do as a person for your mental health that keep you going and yeah. Well, walking is really important to me. Yeah. Walking and, uh, and greeting people as I walk. Wow. And I enjoy greeting everybody. And because when I do it here and I'm greeting them in their local languages, I usually try to guess which tribe people are from. Mm -hmm. It's kind of one of my little games I play with myself to see if I can figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then I love making everybody smile. So that makes me grounded. I feel like I'm part of my community. I walk through my community, I greet everybody, I ask how they're doing, I stop and talk to some people. I think that's very healthy. I think getting to know your neighbors is super healthy. Um, exercise, as I said, in every way. You know, I've, I've lost a lot of weight. I've lost 40 kilograms wow. in the last eight months. So, um, I need I, to I, lose five. <clears throat> well, I can tell you how to do it, but it, you may not like what you have to do. It's just, it's, it's all about delayed gratification. So that's one of our big problems in general with mental health. Mm. We want everything and we want it all now. We want it quick. And don't want to have to do the and work. Easy. And yeah, we want it easy. We don't, and we want zero uncertainty. Mm. We want success guaranteed and we want it now. <laughs> and it's like, that's just not how life works. So I apologize for whatever role I played in causing this sickness to sweet planet Earth uh -huh. that's emanated from the state of California, where I'm from, mm -hmm. from both Hollywood and Silicon Valley. I'll take whatever share of the blame that I should for helping to spread this illness that people should be able to become super successful immediately without yeah. doing any work. Because we faked it. Mm -hmm. We faked it. My generation purposefully to okay. outsmart each other yeah. would act like we weren't doing any work. And so the whole game was to pretend to be a slacker while you were secretly studying your ass off 
or working 20 hours a day to with your day job and your night job writing mm-hmm. software. And we made it seem like we were succeeding without trying, right? And that's how the media reported it to the world. And then there's a whole generation <laughs> that's still trying to chase after that. And they don't realize that for every Mark Zuckerberg, there's 9,999 yeah. guys that are close to the loony bin now. Yeah. So, because they gave it their all and they failed. Yeah. And they feel like losers because they failed to be Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's done a lot of damage, right? The whole, I was talking about this earlier with everybody, this Hollywood celebrity pursuit. Yeah. I mean, I have personally watched that. I grew up in it. I'm Jewish, mm-hmm. right? So, my friends at summer camp, their dads were screenwriters, directors, producers. And you just get to see... First of all, how improbable it is for anybody to make it, right? I mean, they'll tell you, we get like 10,000 scripts a month. And it's like, you know, because I, I, I've had Ugandans ask me, look, there's great Ugandan stories. Can you bring Hollywood producers to film it here? We got the crew even. Can they just come and help make it happen? And I've definitely, I've gone down the road and talked to a number of my friends there. And they go, what what are they bringing to the table? And I go, well, they got skills and they got scripts. And they go, like, we're not short on skills and we're not short on scripts. We're not short on actors. We got everybody waiting tables or prostituting or whatever they have to do so they can make it in Hollywood. Yeah. So they just have, like I said, it's probably a 10,000 to 1 uh, odds of, uh, you know, in, in, in that game. Similarly, I think, with high tech. But nobody tells people that the odds of success are so low. Mm-hmm. And the, the possibility is so attractive to some people. Yeah. Some people really want to be famous and be on TV or whatever. And In the next blockbuster movie. Yeah, it's just it's, that's where that they... <laughs> and that, you know, obviously that's what social media is kind of doing for some people as well. But in a lot of ways it devalues Hollywood. Right, because now ordinary people can start making decent quality movies just using their, TikTok. yeah, and, and just using their smartphone even, right? So, yeah. people, I mean, I started my YouTube channel with a smartphone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like before you needed to have serious equipment to be able to do this stuff. And it just was not possible. Yeah, I needed a massive team. and <laughs> Makeup person hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> worth of equipment and sets and blah 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 and now people can just do it here in Africa mm-hmm. so Hollywood's becoming irrelevant by the day yeah. I mean now television is competing with Hollywood right yeah. Netflix and everything else yeah. and YouTube that's that's you right yeah. that's me so we're competing with Hollywood yeah. so uh, and we're probably more interesting than Hollywood because yeah. they per- they give out fantasies that nobody can really live and they make people sicker and when it comes to mental health i notice a vivid connection between what's being put out and what we believe and do sure. and not many people are actually talking about what really happens or the cost others have to pay to get to where they have to go you mean like the winner-take-all society? Yes. The yes. Winner-take-all yeah, winner-take-all leads to massive low self-esteem yeah. for everybody else. Yeah. And in fact, even the winner <laughs> is constantly suffering from imposter con, uh, complex syndrome. or syndrome, whatever. Because they don't, they're not sure they really deserve to be the winner, because they saw plenty of people who lost that had more talent than them. 
they may have a few good breaks. They met the right person or whatever. And, you know, they know deep inside that the gap between them and the and those that didn't succeed wasn't seriously big. So on both sides, the winners and the losers end up in, injured in all of this when we set up a winner-take-all uh, scenario. Yeah. And we saw just, you know, nobody's watching the Oscar award ceremonies anymore, so they have to now have fights at them. You saw Will Smith and Chris Rock. We got that clip. Will Smith with Chris and that whole That's situation. That's an example of people mentally losing their minds. Yeah. And, uh, and also because they're becoming irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, Will Smith is a great actor, Chris Rock's a great comedian, but they're less and less relevant by the day. Especially Chris Rock. <laughs> well, I'm not going to diss <laughs> Anyways, but... Uh, Those are my views, guys. <laughs> But, but the point is that catch. there's just now so many people who can crack jokes yeah, on camera that can be seen. And so these guys, their incredible skill, I'm not going to take anything away from the skills that they have honed, their ability to memorize lines and repeat scenes over and over again to get the right emotional emphasis and the right timing. I mean, they're athletes, right? And they yeah. have trained themselves to be performers. Yeah. And hats off to them. There's not nothing anyone can say to take away from Will That's Smith's uh, amazing talent at his craft. But in the end, people are paying attention to a lot of other things besides movies and music. Now they're watching video, playing video games. Now video games are like way bigger than music and movies. On the topic, since we've <laughs> gone to have the conversation about Will Smith, um, I'm very interested in the topic of emotional abuse and it not really being recognized in Africa as a form of abuse and yet it leaves deep scars and deep wounds. Yeah, so what's your view on emotional abuse? I'll start with the part that no one wants to talk about. Yeah. How men are the victims of it in yes. almost half the cases. Yes. And they're too afraid to admit it because they're seen as weak if, yeah. they, if, they, if they say anything. Mm. But the reality is, we all know this is true. Men tend, these are averages, these are stereotypes, I confess, but men tend to be physically more powerful yeah. and women are much more psychologically powerful. Mm. And their ability to say even just a few words to destroy a man's self-esteem is immense. And it can leave just a deep, deep scar in, in every aspect of their being. And there will be no mark. Mm. No one saw no a, 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 a slap across the face or a black eye. No but something was said that hurt them deep in their heart and soul. Yeah. And um, so I think we'll only really be able to do with this emotional abuse question mm. once we desexualize it. Yeah. Instead of portraying men as always the abusers and women always as the victims, the victims. and acknowledge in relationships people are stabbing each other emotionally yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, it's, and they may not lay a hand on each other. Yeah. They may never hit each other, but they've, they've done you know, psychological damage. So I would say a good place to start is for us to acknowledge that men are also domestically abused. And boys are even abused. Yeah. And we don't talk about these things because it's seen as weak to admit that you've gone through some form of abuse. Mm -hmm. um, I actually think that 
people coming forward and allowing themselves to be vulnerable is one of the strongest moves you can make. Yeah. When you disclose a vulnerability, you're basically saying, hey, I know where I'm weak yeah. and I'm dealing with it. Yeah. And it's like, and, you, and I cannot be embarrassed or humiliated because of it because I know it exists and I'm working on it. So I, I encourage everybody who has their issues yeah. to let themselves be naked about it. It's a type of strength that they'll get from owning up to their weaknesses. Yeah. I mean, because I used to be a bodybuilder too, and right? And um, you'd have to face you know, where you were sore and you'd have to go, all right, that muscle's really underdeveloped. I'm going to have to work on it. And it's usually you're asymmetric. One side's better than the other. And you have to like get both of them synchronized to get them back. Mm -hmm. And you can't reach that level of symmetry and uh, perfection or whatever you want to call it, fitness, actually, uh, unless you acknowledge your weaknesses. Because yeah. uh, otherwise you'll keep on getting injured. So you have to work on your vulnerabilities so that you can minimize your injuries and, and build up to be the best you that you can be. Yeah, on the issue of emotional abuse, I, I don't have my next question. Do you think narcissism is an actual disorder or do you think it's an excuse that people have had to fall back on Okay, well, these are words, right? We, and yeah. narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. I'm sure if we went into the p physician's desk reference, or the PDR, right? That's what it's called. They, you would look it up and you'd find out that how the different ways that narcissistic personality disorder manifests. Sometimes it's, it's, you would not expect it. Like people who are super generous, who are always trying to help other people, a lot of the people pleasers, actually suffer from narcissistic personality disorder yet they look like they're being very generous and helpful but they're doing it actually because they have some form of low self-esteem and they're trying to make up for it they feel like they have to be helpful to other people to make up for somehow their own inadequacy and um, now i have noticed that different generations have certain tendencies like in America, people born after World War II in kind of the year I was born, so I can go in either group. But the baby boomers in America are known for being the quintessential narcissists, right? Now, the generation that follows, and that, like I said, I'm right on the borderline. So the generation that follows is known for its self-destructed nihilism where they just want to blow up the whole world and they don't care if they blow themselves up. <laughs> so they just, you know, so it's like a, a very different mentality. Mm -hmm. So those are two different dualities of personality. And then you have the mentality of the generation afterward in America, right? And Uganda's on a different path, yeah. right? Uganda's wars, you know, the one in the South ended in 86, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys born from the 80s to like 2000, you're the baby boomer. Right, so you're, this generation actually tends to be more narcissistic from my observation. Um, and uh, now the generation before them, um, the ones that were children during the ugliness, like my parents, they were, they were children during the Great Depression and World War II. They tend to be um, quiet people, artistic, self-reflective, um, and hardworking. Um, that's not to say they don't have their own problems, but you know, that they, you know, because they probably were collectively abused just the same way we did 
to all these kids during COVID, right? Yeah. And how we've done to them with climate change and yeah. told them that they're just breathing alone is killing the planet. So it's like, we're really messing these kids up. And so, but maybe they'll turn out to be okay anyways. I don't know. We hope so. And then, you know, but, and then the other type of generational archetype are the heroes, right? And they're, they want to, you know, they're, there's a form of narcissism in it, but also a form of, you know, willingness to just die, right? They're willing to sacrifice themselves yeah. for society. They just want to be somehow recognized for their sacrifice, mm -hmm. for their bravery. And that right now in Uganda, that's the older generation that fought in the wars. Mm -hmm. In America, that generation's already died off. Yeah. And that's one of the U.S.'s problems right now, and Europe's, and Japan's, and China's. All the generations that actually fought in the last genocidal war have retired or died. And so now you have people running things who've never had experience dealing with a crisis. And so, Poking at each other. Yeah, and they're meanwhile, yeah, just beating the crap out of each other instead of fixing problems. Yeah. Because it's so important that they're right. Yeah. It's like, no, it's important society survives. It's way more important that you're right. So, and to get that perspective, you probably have to go through hell yeah. to, to get over yourself. Yeah. And realize that your own ego is getting in the way of what's in the best interests of society. And you probably don't learn that lesson until you've been through enough hell. <laughs> so, in a lot of ways, we have to go through these sufferings so that we grow. And that's, now maybe that's the hardest part to accept for mental health is that the suffering that we see, the depression, the anxiety, the, all the different neuroses are a manifestation of an uncertain world and that's in rapid change, especially here, yeah. right? I mean, this place is, I mean, you, Africa, broadly speaking, Sub-Saharan Africa, the rate of urbanization is insane. I mean, it's urbanizing 10 times faster than London did, right? So they've like collapsed 500 years into 50, you know, in the urbanization of Lagos, if you compared it to the urbanization of London. So that's what's going on here. So. Africans are experiencing like history compressed, you know, tenfold. So when you are, you know, come from a village, from a culture to a town or a city, and now you're trying to figure out what do you do, how do you fit into all this? It's like you have to go through that rapid a change, and they have to compete globally, right? And so they have to compete against some of the best trained people in the world yeah. and they just came from nothing it's just so unfair and there's i, I don't know what to do about it but it is what it is you're going to feel super low self-esteem and the ones that are successful are going to drive around overly large range rovers to cover up for their <laughs> low self-esteem <And> so <laughs> okay. but that's what's going on and i mean people are you know I mean, capitalism's been hard enough for Americans to deal with. Yeah. You know, and Brits and French and everybody else. But here, to go from a primarily subsistence agriculture society to be on this, you know, internet-fueled, you know, capitalism now where everything's happening at the speed of thought, it's, that's a very different way to live, right? And... So I already see some people expecting that they should be like 
whatever the next Kim Kardashian or the next you know uh, you know Google founder guys and it's like you know those are actually rare occurrences those are not frequent yeah. those people are rare in those countries and I mean all power to you you want to give it a shot I'm not going to discourage you <laughs> but but just put it in perspective your odds of success are not great I used to see this even in Oakland. I used to live in Oakland, California, and I'd see a lot of the guys shooting hoops endlessly. They all wanted to be the next Michael Jordan or the Magic Johnson and all these guys, right? And their odds of becoming that are almost zero, right? Even if they're very good, maybe they're the best in their secondary school, their chance of making it to the pros is so low, it's not funny. And so that's true with everything, right? I mean, with every business, it's just the odds of success are low. Um, now, there is some benefit to kind of blind courage that you just go for it even though you don't know your chances are slim. And, um, and I, I'm certainly guilty of having done that. I probably wouldn't have done some of the crazy companies I've started if I knew how unlikely it was for me to succeed. Do you think the ways that employers of these brooding companies can put systems in place that will protect the employer's mental health? And how can they achieve that? Mm, that's a tough one. Um, well, I'll say around here, a lot of these workplaces are pretty either almost killing people with a lack of feedback about anything. People show up at their workstation or wherever and they, they just, they show up, but they don't know if they're doing a good job or not. Yeah. And their managers give them no feedback about what they should be doing and if they, what they could be doing better. Mm -hmm. And there tends to just being a lot of yelling mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of frustration. I think there's, uh, we've, we have a long way to go to develop our management skills, period. Yeah. Whether, irrespective of a compassionate human resource department that tries to notice when people are struggling and help them get whatever they need you know, emotionally so they can function, deal with whatever, whatever crises and challenges they're having with their home life. And or their finances, because probably that by the time they got that job, they already were in deep trouble financially, and so they're showing up. But it's like they, it's not the magic wand to fix everything, and it's kind of depressing to think you may have to be suffering like this for 10, 20 years before you can fix all the problems that you already know about that you had, let alone the new ones you're going to. So that leads to a lot of despair. When will this all end? And because I think people have been told that somehow there's going to be a happy ending and that all these struggles and sufferings go away. Yeah. And I think that may be part of the problem, too, that we're socializing people. Again, I'll take I'll take the blame collectively for Hollywood. I mean, the Disney, the Disney story that everybody <laughs> lives happily. Sold that, that exactly. We all live happily ever after. No. Life is suffering. Everything you do is suffering. And the best you can do is choose something you want to do and be good at. Be aware of the suffering that's required. 
And therefore, you then are consciously choosing to suffer in that way because you want that reward. And you're going to have to learn to love that suffering. And that's the only way you get to be Michael Jordan. And that's the only way you get to be a Beyonce is to embrace the suffering necessary to be masterful at your craft. And if if possible, even learn to love the suffering. Now, that's... Not something that we're being taught in Hollywood usually. Yeah. Um, it's somehow life, the end goal is to retire, play golf, float around. And yeah, and you just don't have, you know. By the beach. And then you do nothing and you sit there and you watch the <laughs> waves crash. It's like, <laughs> but so that's, that's this fantasy that a lot of the world has been given. Yeah. And in a way, it's just death worship. I mean, because the only way you escape suffering is to die. Other than that, it's just different types of suffering all the way through. Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully you can suffer joyously. Hopefully you're, you know, the things that make you happy um, are worth the suffering. Yeah. And, um, but to, to give our kids and ourselves this expectation that at some point we'll never suffer. Well, it's true, you'll die. So, but that, you know, that's when you'll stop suffering. <laughs> Guys, we're going to die. <laughs> that's an inevitability. All we don't know is the date. Yeah. <laughs> and the means by which. That's true. So that's it, you know. So I, I, I think this all goes back even in the companies that are being brought up, the suffering aspect, the fairy tale aspect, and then it... Well, the companies that are successful in the U.S. have copied one of the things I did, because mm-hmm. I started making my company a fun place to be. This mm-hmm. is in the 90s. Yeah. So we brought in video game arcade machines. We had masseuses giving neck massages and arm massages to all the uh, programmers. We had catered gourmet food all through the night. Wow. No matter what they wanted, they were just constantly served. We had our candy pantry just filled with candy and the health food section just filled with health food. And yeah. they had rooms where they could just zone out and do whatever they needed to do, the smoking room or whatever they needed to do. Yeah. And it was like, all right. Uh, and we even had childcare. We had, we had childcare too because I didn't want people leaving. So I was being, I was, a, you know, there was a capitalist motivation to this. I wanted the workers to stay and work longer. And the more fun and the more of a family that work felt like, the yeah. more hours they would put in. Yeah. Now that's become widespread across America. My main venture investors copied it. They immediately applied it to Google and all these other companies because um, it became because at first they hated it the investors why are you wasting all this money on masseuses and counselors and babysitting and video games and blah 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 because well, it makes people want to be here <laughs> and um, so then one of our investors dropped by our offices like at two in the morning on a Saturday night he had gone to see the opera in yeah. San Francisco and he went by the offices and he said, and he was reporting this at the next board meeting. Mm-hmm. And he had been the loudest one criticizing what I was doing and made a stop because I, I was wasting money on all this stuff, you know, that was fun. And he said, guys, I saw that there were 50 people working at this company at 2 a.m. on a Saturday okay. night. Yeah. 
And he says, whatever you guys are doing, I take back everything I said. Spend whatever you think is necessary. If you want to spend double, triple, I approve. I'm going to do this at all my other companies. What I saw is amazing. Yeah. You have such dedication of brilliant people. And they were all alert, and they explained to me what they were working on. And he's like, you have done something amazing here, and I apologize for challenging you. So, but now, corporate America has become like the most sinister version of myself. Right, they're like purposefully making work into a cult, right? And so you know the the CEO becomes the cult leader, and you know and whatever mission the company is on is what everybody's fanatically committed to, and yeah. and they lose their family and their relationships because they're spending all their time at work. So I realize that I again I'll take responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I guess, Part, part of getting older in life is rebelling against your younger, your younger rebel self. So, <laughs> Joel versus Joel. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I hope the older Joel is winning. I don't know. It's a, it, it, I keep on discovering mistakes that I made that have gotten out of control. Yeah. So, um, I mean, with mental health, I, I, I think first and foremost is to get people physically active. Yeah, so I think that the number one, the number one lowest cost, easiest thing to implement is to get people physically active. So what I did with my company, again, this is Pangea, we we're the ones that did the human genome. Um, we used to take department meetings as walk-ins. We would walk around Lake Merritt in Oakland. Someone would carry a whiteboard or a roll of butcher paper and the, the pens and we would find some place to finally stop and everybody'd sit on the grass. We'd set up an easel and the whiteboard and we'd have departmental meetings. So we'd mix together exercise with a walking meeting. So people were getting fresh air, they're getting exercise and, and just being around greenery and water. They've shown that's really good for people's mental health. So I think that's the quickest and easiest thing all, any and all companies in Uganda can do immediately is have walking meetings or you know and let people get out in nature and 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 I think that would help a lot of people have you been to the great outdoors no I have not it's an amazing place is this one ginger um no no it's in Gaiaza site okay yeah it has that feel to it they have forest baths and oh nice and walk and yeah. Well, there's a lot of new Just lodges that have come up so maybe these companies can make use of them yeah they should because I think getting people out of the office is probably one of the best things they can do for their health, yeah. their mental health, and physical health. Yeah. And uh, just I think what we've learned with COVID is um, keeping people locked up is the they worst thing you can do for your mind and your body. They gained weight. They all kinds of things we happened. Have gained weight. <laughs> oh, I did too. I I got so huge I had to lose forty kg, and I'm not done. I want to lose another ten. <laughs> I'll get into your program. <laughs> okay, Joel, we're so grateful for having you. Well, um, thank you for having me. Yeah, I've learned a lot. It's been a great conversation with you. Uh, do you have any last words for the people? Well, in regards to the conversation we just had. I just I know a lot of Africans have trouble admitting that they're going through hard times mentally. And, uh, and they need to get over that stigma and that fear. And they need to realize that vulnerability is strength. And that by acknowledging your weakness, you've taken the first step to, to fixing it. 
and ignoring it is one of the worst things you can do because you'll keep on injuring yourself and uh, so it's not easy it takes courage right there's the famous prayer you know god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to tell to know the difference so i repeat that to myself every day and i'm always asking myself is this something I just have to find the serenity to accept? Is this something I, I, I just have to find the courage to change? And I think with mental health, a lot of it's finding the courage even to just love yourself, regardless of what happened in your life, regardless of who's to blame. doesn't matter. What's done is done. You are you and you are now. So you got to take care of yourself. And I'm no self-help expert. I am no psychologist. I've just, this is what I've learned just by living. And I'm not sure it's the only way, but it's one way that I've learned that you have to do. Love yourself. Then you'll be able to love other people better. And other people will be able to love you better. And, uh, and you won't be chasing people that don't love you. So start with yourself. And know that, you know, you may have damage, right? We all do. So just face up to it. It's not about figuring out what caused it or who's to blame. It's just now you just got to, we got to go on. This is life. You're not, you're not getting out of this alive, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to suffer the whole way through. And suffering is all right. Because it's, it's, it's just inevitable. You cannot escape That's suffering. Fair. At best, you can choose your suffering. Yeah. But we all suffer. To love is to suffer. <laughs> thank you so, so much, Joel. Thank you guys for joining us and thank you for being part of this conversation. Uh, we hope to have more conversations like this. If you want us to discuss a specific topic or you want to share your story, please reach out in the comment section and we shall get back to you. From I, Aumarita, and Joel, we're wishing you love and light. Wangala o kula kula ne.